Now, that fear of failure shouldn't put you in a point that you're stopping yourself from growing and evolving as a clinician. Because here's the thing, it's not the perfection of dentistry, it's the practice of dentistry. Today, we have Dr. Jessica Metcalf joining us on our sixth episode of Tooth Untold Podcast. She obtained her Doctor of Dental Medicine at Boston University, Henry Goldman School of Dental Medicine. Dr. Metcalf is a general dentist to oncology patients. To top it off, she's also an educator, speaker, and the founder of The Alchemist Dentist. Join us as we dismantle imposter phenomenon, burnout, and perfectionism. Let's get to it. And now tell us what's up. Welcome to Tooth Untold Podcast, where we interview exceptional dentists from around the world. In each episode, we probe the mind of a dentist and extract wisdom and knowledge from their experiences. Now here's your host, Kevin Zappa. For those who don't already know what imposter phenomenon is, could you define it for them? Of course. Imposter phenomenon is this feeling of self-doubt accompanied with this feeling that you're going to be found out so that you're unworthy in some unspecified way or you underestimate your abilities or explain away your successes. So it's when you don't believe that your own achievements are because of your own efforts and skills. And that's where I like to make sure that there's a differentiation. It's not self-doubt on its own. And self-doubt is actually quite useful. So if you're feeling as if self-doubt or the fear of failure exists in what is going on, depending on where you are in your career, that's completely normal in and of itself. But self-doubt on its own is not imposter phenomenon. Now... How does imposter phenomenon relate to dentistry? Good question. So imposter phenomenon tends to affect high achievers um, more often, more frequently, um, and to a greater extent. And the reason for that is being a high achiever, you're either always trying to reach that next goal, um, so you're moving the goalpost, or you have perfectionist tendencies, or you even link your self-worth to your professional identity. And so it tends to affect individuals in high achieving schooling environments or competitive environments, as well as high achieving professional environments. So law school, medical school, dental school, um, tends to affect those individuals more often. So is there a way to overcome imposter phenomenon? Good question. So I, as I've explored this over the last couple of years, especially with how I experience it and then sharing my journey and then coaching others on their experiences, sometimes it's just so ingrained that you don't even know that it's actually been happening the entire time. So at that point, I don't know if I would call it prevention. At that point, it's starting to manage it. And you always hear all these terminology about overcoming imposter phenomenon. And I don't think you can ever overcome it, especially when it's been so ingrained, right? So in undergrad or even in high school, you can take a look back in and look at that aspect of 
the competitive nature of getting in, right? So pre-dental school, you were likely an athlete, you volunteered for numerous hours, you were in a club of some sort and likely a president, you played an instrument of some kind and you had really high grades, right? And then you got to dental school and what once was a top performer, you're now among all the top performers. And because of that, that bar then just gets lifted and it becomes normalized of being that much of a high achiever. And so when we talk about the prevention or management aspect of it, it's now starting to unravel and look back. Okay, when did it start to happen and why was it happening? When you start to understand your triggers in particular, then you can start to unravel when they happen in those moments. So for instance, a couple of individuals that I'm currently working with right now, certain procedures bring up those feelings, right? And for me in particular, it was always complicated extractions. I love extractions. And yet anytime I would treatment plan it, I'd be like, yeah, I'm totally fine with that. Review the x-ray. I've got this under my belt. And then I go to go, uh, the day actually comes and all of a sudden this fear comes in that, why did I choose this? complicated extraction like this shouldn't actually be me I shouldn't be able to do this or I can't do this and right then and there it's how I choose to speak to myself right and so by understanding okay if it's a specific procedure if it's a certain type of patient population if it's specific patients that you see in your schedule if it's looking into taking continuing education courses, whatever it may be, when you can start to narrow down, okay, what sets it off? You can then start to unravel and understand, okay, A, how am I choosing to speak to myself? Because if it's in a very negative tone, it's changing the vocabulary and changing the dialogue that you have with yourself. Then the second component is look at all the past evidence and proof that you have in your experience. Anytime those emotions or thoughts start to come up, it's because we think we've never done it before. And so we forget to lean on those past experiences. And so for me, when I share this with others, it's giving them the resources that you're never starting from scratch ever again. Like ever, ever again, doesn't matter what you choose to take on, you have a base foundation. You just need to figure out how those skills become applicable. I totally understand that feeling. It's like doing your first extraction as a dental student. You are afraid of, of failing. So that brings me to my next question. How does imposter phenomenon present itself? It depends. So everyone's self-doubt or that fear of failure comes up and presents in a very different way. So for me in particular, my heart starts to race. I feel this nausea feeling sometimes to the point that I can't eat. Um, and I start to sweat profusely and it doesn't help with all the PPE now because <laughs> you're just sweating like you wouldn't believe. And so understanding how your own body reacts is one component of it. It could be that initial experience because everyone's excitement, stress or doubt presents very differently. Um, it could also be that if a complication happens, and then the next time you go to go try to um, complete that procedure. So let's say a file breaks in an endo and you're like, oh crap, like I can't believe that this happened. Like I don't want to do root canals again. 
And the next time that you go to go try to do it, that exact same thought process and emotion or physical response can start as an anticipation before you've even started the endo treatment or the procedure that it happened to. So it might look a little bit different and it might evolve over a period of time. So being really in tune to your thoughts, how your body's reacting and how you choose to speak to yourself is really important. And that goes back to the self-reflection. And I don't think that we give ourselves enough credit when it comes to creating self-reflection or allowing ourselves to reflect on the situation. So we spend more time analyzing the mistakes than actually looking back and saying, well, why was that procedure so successful? You're more likely to spend more time in saying, my contact was open. I'm a shit dentist. This is right. And you spiral down that thought process versus actually looking back and saying, well, why was that contact so good? And how can I replicate it at the next procedure? Absolutely. And I'm guilty of that. Whenever I'm doing my own work, I would dwell on the negative things instead of focusing on the positive things that I could bring forward. Now, I think this revolves around the what ifs. So like, what if, you know, what if you get sued? Or what if I break a file while doing an endo? What are your thoughts on that? Right. So I think one of the ways that we're programmed, especially early on, is the what ifs. And so what if a complication happens, which then spirals into what if a complaint then happens? What if a patient sues me? What if I lose my license? What if I can't pay my student debt off? So that's a very typical kind of spiraling thought pattern, or you can think of it like the snowball effect where you start with this snowball and it turns into an avalanche, right? So trying to stop that thought process, I think is really important because it goes back to the fact, okay, well, what is it specifically that I'm worried about? And when you get specific, because it's going to be different for every person, then that way you can start to actually answer those what if questions. Now, that fear of failure shouldn't put you in a point that you're stopping yourself from growing and evolving as a clinician, right? And yes, okay, litigation can be scary, but at the same time, knowing that other dentists have gone through it and that you can also lean on them as well if you ever get into that situation. Because again, it might even be a complaint or a litigation that you didn't predict, right? And so that fear, the self-doubt shouldn't prevent you though from growing as a dental profession, because here's the thing, it's not the perfection of dentistry, it's the practice of dentistry. So the dentist that I was six years ago when I graduated in 2015 is definitely not the dentist that I am now, right? The conversations that you have with patients, they're going to change because you're going to notice when you tweak certain words in your vocabulary, the patients will understand a little bit better. The types of materials I used back when I graduated are not the types of materials that I use now, right? And so it's dentistry is not a one size fits all. And dental school gives you a foundation. Dental schools allows you the opportunity to then build on and find what works for you. So part of my practice, I don't do any root canal therapy and that's because of the patient population that I treat. And because of that, I want to be referring the patient to see an endodontist because there's a risk of osteonecrosis or medication related osteonecrosis of the jaw. So 
for me, that is not a risk that I want to take because I don't have a microscope. I didn't do that additional training for that specific patient population. But then there's certain other areas where I'm like, okay, I'm going to push the limit a little bit more because I do want to grow. I want to be able to do those complex or complicated cases. And so I think when we go back, especially when we're looking at that fear and trying to grow as a clinician is understanding that those feelings, those thoughts are completely fine and not to try to kind of shove them and put them out of the way. Because when you do that, they're just going to kind of come back at you even bigger, right? And so knowing that that self-doubt is fine, giving yourself the opportunity to grow and being very open and honest with the patient. And I don't think we give ourselves enough credit when it comes to that, especially in those early years of trying to understand what's happening or trying to figure out which cases or types of dentistry that we really enjoy. Because general dentistry is really broad. Right. And so trying to hone in on what you like, what you enjoy, where your passion is within dentistry can be challenging in the in those initial couple of years. But I think when you're explaining procedures, explaining risks and complications to patients and you're being very open and honest, that also helps reduce the anxiety that you have, because then at that point, you've shared all of the information possible with the patient. So knowing myself, I feel like I'm going to have a breakdown at that moment. It's going to feel like it's the end of the world for me. (laughs) 100%. (laughs) So let me ask you, is it actually the end of the world when that happens? No, it's not the end of the world. Um, It can feel like it. It can feel like doomsday, (laughs) Like, like you wouldn't believe. And like, I can take myself back to a complicated extraction where like there's a root tip left over and I can stimulate that response like sitting here in front of you I can stimulate that response in me right now and I can already start to feel my heart start to flutter thinking about it but the biggest thing when you're in that moment if the thoughts aren't serving you then put them off to the side right so earlier on I said you want to be able to ask yourself those questions so you can start to answer them. But if at that moment in time, it's not serving you and you end up down those spiraling thoughts of the, what if a complication happens to what if I can't pay my student debt off, that's not serving you in that doomsday moment that you're feeling. Right. So now at that point, you can do something called stop thought where you tell yourself, I'm going to stop this thought right now because it's not serving me. And you can reevaluate it later. It's not that you're pushing it out of the way and you're never going to go back to it. You reevaluate it at another point in time because it's not serving you. Our brain, the reason why we worry and why it's so normal is because our brain is trying to problem solve. And so it goes back to the flight, fight, or freeze response. That is normal, right? If the problem solving isn't serving you, at that point in time, then you need to figure out what problem solving you need to accomplish in that moment. So let's say for me, that complicated extraction. Okay, well, what's the hang up? Can I not see? Is there too much blood that I need more suction? Do I need to irrigate more to be able to see the root tip? Do I need to take a radiograph so I can see the angle a little bit better? Do I need to try a different instrument? 
at that point in time, I'm then answering and I'm problem solving in an efficient way that's going to be able to allow me to figure out, okay, what do I need to do for this patient at this moment in time? But going from the what if a complication happens to what if I can't pay my student debt off is not serving you at that moment in time. So moving on to the next topic, how would you define burnout? So burnout is broken down into three components. The first one being emotional exhaustion, the second one being depersonalization, and a part of that is compassion fatigue and cynicism. And then the third one is this lack of personal accomplishment. So you feel like you're not accomplishing anymore. And so burnout is, you feel like you're just kind of going through the motions, um, you're chronically fatigued, um, anything sets you off, you may feel very irritable, you can have GI disturbances, um, and you may even be wishing away the next like 25, 30 years of your career. And just as imposter phenomenon looks a little bit different to everyone because we experience doubt in a physical sense differently, burnout doesn't look the same for everyone either. And so once you start to understand if this is something that's happening because it's complex, because it's dynamic and it didn't happen overnight, it means it's not going to go away overnight either, which is really important to understand. So it's giving yourself that permission and being kind to yourself with the fact that, okay, this is what I'm feeling right now. This is what's happening. Now, what do I need for me to be able to change so I'm not wishing away the next 25, 30 years of my career? And that was the biggest thing for me a few years ago when I hit my third burnout. I was like, I can't keep living like this. Like, I'm not going to make it out of dentistry. I'm like, this is, this is not sustainable. And I had to really take a step back and evaluate what was happening in my life to be able to understand what needed to change because it wasn't sustainable. And so for me, it was reducing clinic hours. It was exploring other passions. It was, um, finding time for myself and knowing that when I find time for myself, I don't need to consistently be achieving <laughs> during that off time, <laughs> right? That's the biggest thing as a high achiever because when you're stuck in, okay, I need to get to the next goal. I need to add on this to my resume. We're so, it's so ingrained in us to be that competitive person. And so I needed to take a step back and be like, there is no reason for me to be this competitive in a yoga class right now, <laughs> right? And so it was one of my mentors who is also in dentistry, who's an orthodontist, who is a yoga instructor as well. And I remember this was pre-COVID when we could actually attend yoga classes. And I remember being in the yoga class and he's like, Jessica, he's like, relax. <laughs> I was like, okay, yeah, I really do need to take <laughs> take a second, relax and understand where I am and why, why I'm actually in yoga was to relax, not to make it more stressful. And so I think that that's the biggest thing that we as high achievers need to understand is, is that yes, you can keep achieving. I'm not saying don't achieve. I'm saying keep achieving, but also be kind to yourself. So if you had a really bad night and you feel like you're you're going to wake up super tired be kind to yourself knowing that you might be a little bit slower that day or you might have a little bit of brain fog so you might have to think through things a little bit more that's okay be kind to yourself because it doesn't happen every single day 
if a procedure doesn't go as well, it's likely one out of like 20 cases, right? Because we always fixate on the one. Be kind to yourself. Understand that because you had a bad day doesn't mean you're a bad dentist. And if we give ourselves the permission to be a little bit more kind to ourselves, I think we'll enjoy dentistry a little bit more too. I'm glad you mentioned that. So my outlet outside of school is fitness. But I was actually wanting to do yoga because I've heard all the benefits to it. But I'm just not sure if I'm flexible enough for it. Yeah, you know what? So it's yoga is not for everyone. And it's something like there was a period of time in dental school where I was like, I can't do yoga. I don't like the yoga instructor. I'm not getting relaxed. I just paid money. I'm in debt. Like you have to find something that works for you. So there was a combination for me where I needed a bit more of a sports outlet as well. So I combined it with uh, martial arts. So I do Brazilian jiu-jitsu and that I find is amazing because then I get to beat people up in a controlled manner. (laughs) So that I find is like for me, but that's not for everyone. Right. So there's another person, um, who I know who picked up crocheting because they felt like they needed to be consistently doing something with their hands, but crocheting is something that they can just sit and relax on the time, like however long it takes them, they have different designs, different colors. So there's that creative outlet. And in dentistry, it is, it's part arts, part science. So we already have that creative nature in us. And now it's exploring it outside of dentistry too. I'm actually just gonna get sidetracked for a little bit. So I've actually noticed that, you know, most dentists play golf. Is it a thing to play golf once you're a dentist? So, okay, so I feel like that's a very much a misconception because I thought this like a few years too, a few years ago where I was like, do I need to take up golf? Like, is this like some secret society? (laughs) And you know what? It's what works for certain people. And it goes back to what I said earlier, one size doesn't fit all. If you don't like golf, you don't have to do golf. And it's funny because when I started jujitsu, I was like, oh my goodness, I need to be careful. So I do no gi instead of gi because of the grips. And like, I was worried about... Um, the grips with my fingers and if injuries. And so I then ended up finding two other dentists, one being an oral surgeon, and then one a general dentist who do Brazilian jiu-jitsu as well. And so I reached out to them and I was like, okay, there's more people like me. And it is, it's putting yourself out there knowing that, okay, you might not find your tribe right off the bat, but there's definitely like-minded individuals out there that you'll be able to resonate with. It doesn't have to be well. Or spinning. <laughs> <laughs> so let's bring it back to yoga. Uh, so what are the benefits that you reap from doing yoga? Yoga's good. Yoga's good for a couple of things. I feel for dentistry is we don't stretch enough. And because of our ergonomics, I feel like yoga definitely forces us to um, focus on those minor movements at a slower pace and muscles that you didn't even know existed. And because of that, I feel like there's more longevity that then comes with us being able to do dentistry. I think that doing dentistry, especially what it can do to our upper body, our lower back, it's really important to make sure that we do incorporate some sort of physical 
um, mobility that comes with it. And it doesn't, again, it can be whatever you want it to be, but it is, it's building that strength. So then dentistry isn't a sprint, dentistry is a marathon, especially if you want to be practicing for a few decades, right? And so it is. So yoga, whatever sport that you want to want to do, but yoga, I think I find the meditation aspect because you can calm your mind, but you don't necessarily have to do yoga if you want to just meditate, right? You can be meditating while you're walking. You could be meditating um, in the early morning or at nighttime. You could be lying down, right? And so again, give yourself the permission to explore the different opportunities where my yoga isn't your yoga, right? Just like my dentistry is not your dentistry or my perfection isn't your perfection. And I think that when we start to understand that we can do stuff that fits us, then all of a sudden dentistry becomes that much more clear and our passions become that much more clear. And then everything becomes that much more enjoyable. (laughs) Exactly. Well said, well said. So now moving on to my next question, where can I look for help if I do have burnout? Yeah. So with burnout, there's a couple of different avenues that I'll uh, touch on. So, um, depending on to the extent and where you feel like you are having that initial conversation with someone, whether it be a friend, a mentor. um, And then if we switch over to um, either psychologist or counselor, um, if you want to see a psychiatrist, then you usually have to go through your family physician to be able to get there. And then there's what I do, which is the coaching aspect. And the reason why coaching is a little bit different and why I love coaching is the fact that it's, taking you from where you are now to where you want to go. So if it's not necessarily something where you want to explore childhood or you don't want to necessarily go um, towards that back end of it and being and trying to figure out and unpack stuff, it is, it's trying to figure out, okay, what is happening at this point in time? What's not serving you right now? And how do you go about changing it? And so what I love about coaching is, is that athletes have coaches, like consistent coaches, right? Um, if you're exercising, you, you get a coach, whether it's a personal trainer, right? Um, a mentor can be considered a coach. Like there's different ways. And I think that as we go through, you have different coaches, just like not every psychologist will fit you, not every coach will fit you. So it is, it's finding someone who you align with. So early on when you're experiencing burnout and you're like, I really need to find someone and I don't know where to look, you might have to look in a couple of different places and don't get discouraged if the first person that you're speaking to, you don't necessarily connect with, right? Um, That's really important is the fact that it may take a couple of different people until you recognize that, okay, this is the person that I connect with. This is who I want to be chatting with for the next few months. And then knowing that just because you feel like you need coaching or therapy at this point in time, doesn't mean you're going to need it for forever, right? It's getting you back on track. It's understanding and finding a path that works for you. And then it's, creating that accountability and sustainability and then just as if you go in for hygiene every six months maybe you then create a check-in point and you can either create that with an external third person or you even create it for yourself so in my own calendar I actually create something I call it mental flossing because I thought it was funny (laughs) and so every three months I have a dedicated day in my schedule 
where I check in with myself. We, as a society, we think that going for our annual physical is completely fine. So why don't we put as much importance on our mental check-ins, our mental health check-ins? And that's really important. So for me, when I create those check-ins for myself, I recognize that I'm like, okay, what's going on right now? Do I need to adjust? Am I not feeling as good as I want to be feeling? Am I not doing what I want to be doing? Because then that way, it is so easy for the high achiever to slip back into those very natural habits of overworking, spreading yourself too thin, taking on every possible next goal or thinking you need to do it now instead of trying to space it out. And when you create those checkpoints for yourself, it then gives you the opportunity to create that reflection. So when you start to notice or if you feel you're in burnout, know that it's not going to change overnight, but taking those small steps each day to then change will then start to get you to a point that you want to be in. I know that you mentioned earlier that burnout presents itself differently among different people. So what are the common signs and symptoms of burnout that are commonly seen in dental students and dentists? Um, So let's go back to the three components of burnout. Uh, Emotional exhaustion, where you're sitting in front of patients and you feel like everything sets you off. So anything that they really say, you can't necessarily relate to, or you're wanting to be short with your staff even. And then there's the depersonalization or the cynicism where just like you were cutting your conversation short, there's a bit of compassion fatigue that comes in where you feel like you can't relate to your patients anymore, but you're, you feel like you're giving them your all. Then there's the lack of personal accomplishment where you feel like anything you're doing is getting you nowhere. So even if you're taking CE, even if you've added on more complicated cases or you're trying new things, you're feeling like you're just kind of stuck and you're in that hamster wheel and you can't get out of it. And then from the physical symptoms, so sleep disturbances where you might have insomnia or you're waking up a bit more or you find you're sleeping more. You may find that you're coming home from work and you just have chronic fatigue where you now don't want to be having conversations with your family and friends. So you might find yourself isolating yourself more often. You may have GI disturbances. Um, So, and again, like you said, it does look different for everyone. And so trying to hone in and find, okay, what is it specifically? Like, I know for me, one of the biggest things is something called numbing. So you want to be able to find rest that replenishes your energy and that gets you back to being able to get into your day-to-day dentistry, right? And so for me, I love being able to like, I have certain TV shows that I get super excited to just go home and watch. But then you can create a numbing behavior, which can just be aimlessly scrolling social media, binging TV, um, excessive shopping, um, alcohol use. And at that point in time, it's actually depleting your energy even more. So before, when I noticed in my burnout, I would just come home and it wasn't that I was watching TV anymore. It was the TV was watching me at this point. I just was an absolute blob. And 
I had no energy and it was really, it was really hard. At one point, um, I, I just, I just felt I was like there I'm going to have to leave dentistry like I'm not going to be able to stay in dentistry there's no way and then at that point it's I'm looking at all these other different professions and I'm like okay well everything else looks so much more enticing than dentistry and I don't actually want to be doing it and I had to go back to well why did I actually want dentistry to begin with and then you take a look at and try to understand okay what is happening that I can then start to change? And it doesn't have to be something big. It can be something really small. If that means then, if you let's say you're working five days a week and it's an eight hour day. Well, maybe you give yourself an extra half hour on three of the days in lunch, or maybe you cut back an hour. I'm not saying you need to eliminate a day altogether, but maybe you want to get to a point where you eliminate a day altogether, right? Clinical dentistry's hard and when you're not giving yourself the time to be able to manage other aspects of your life just in general your professional and personal life can become very exhausting so trying to figure out what is happening reflecting back on yourself and then trying to unpack okay is this burnout or is this stress because then there's a difference but that's a whole nother topic then <laughs> at that point <laughs> <laughs> we'll save that for another episode. So out of curiosity, have you coached any dental students regarding uh, burnout? So dental students, I haven't coached. I've lectured to dental students before about it. And then that usually turns into a huge Q&A afterwards. But I haven't coached dental students yet. That would be very interesting. Um, I feel like the education system needs to change to begin with, where we're taught a lot about clinical skills. But I think we need an incorporation of how to understand physical, emotional, or mental exhaustion. And when it presents itself in our career, whether it's early on in the middle or you're heading into retirement, knowing that there are resources out there to be able to manage what is happening and to also let you know that you're not alone in this. Because I think that that's the biggest thing is we think, especially as high achievers, I should be able to tough this out. I shouldn't be the one feeling this. And that's exactly what I felt where when I experienced it, I felt like I failed as a daughter, as a caregiver, as a dentist. I felt like I failed at life and I felt like I was alone in it. So I didn't share anything. I didn't express what was happening. And if you were to ask me at that point in time, if anyone knew, no one knew, right? Because it was, you hit it and you learned to hide it well, being that high achiever at times, right? But the biggest thing I think is if we could incorporate it into the dental education in some way, shape or form, right? Then it's giving the students the capability of understanding that, okay, if this does happen, not when, it's just if it happens, this is what's available. And even if you don't turn into like this massive lecture series or whatever, if there's one thing or one item that you take away from that entire thing, it's knowing that, okay, I can lean on someone else to be able to share what is happening and I don't have to go this alone. Exactly. It's always great to have somebody to talk to about how you're feeling and what you're feeling. You should never go through these type of things alone. 
So what if you're already experiencing burnout right from day one of dental school? Could you still be successful throughout your career in dentistry if you're experiencing burnout already right from the start? 100%. Because I did it. (laughs) So my first year, looking back, I 100% had burnout. I went into dental school with the same mindset. So I didn't, I didn't get in my first go and then I was waitlisted and then I got pulled off the waitlist and I got in and I felt like that in and of itself forced me to feel like I needed to consistently prove myself over and over and over again. And so in first year, I didn't get involved in anything. I didn't exercise. I just let everything go. All I did was go to school, come home, essentially COVID, but in first year. (laughs) And now looking back, I'm like at that end of the first year, I was toast. Like I was absolutely toast. And I realized I'm like, there's no way I'm going to make it out of dental school if I keep going at that same pace that I was doing. So I adjusted and it helped with the friends that were in my tribe. Um, I started to get involved with organized dentistry. And funny enough, me and four other women were in my class, felt like we wanted to get involved in organized dentistry, but didn't know how and didn't felt like a part of the American Student Dental Association, our chapter had what we wanted. So we created the health and wellness committee. So it's really funny that this is now what I'm doing. It's like, it's always been a passion of mine from the get go. And so from there, it was then getting more involved. It was connecting with others. And by doing that, I then found my balance once I graduated and then hit into residency and then felt like I needed to be working five, six clinical days and that I needed to make sure that I was making a significant amount of money because I needed to pay down my student debt and felt this enormous amount of pressure again to reprove myself all over again. That's when I hit my burnout again. And so now to answer your question, looking back hundred percent, you can totally get through it. Even if early on you experience burnout, because you may even experience burnout in undergrad and didn't even realize it was burnout, but you made your way through it because of this one set goal. Cause that's exactly what I did. I put horse blinders on from the age of 14 when I realized I wanted to be a dentist. And I said, okay, I'm just going to become a dentist. And everything outside of that was just be a dentist, be a dentist. But then when you get there, all of a sudden your goals now shift what kind of dentist do I need to be? What residency program do I need to get into, right? There's always just your happiness or what you deem your success is always beyond the horizon, beyond the next goal. But you totally can become a successful dentist, a happy dentist, a passionate dentist, even if you experience burnout. It's just adjusting and knowing that what works for someone else may not work for you. And that's completely fine. There are some people who love clinical dentistry and want to do those five, six days a week. For me, I love education. And so I need to find a way to incorporate that into doing clinical dentistry because to me, that's what makes dentistry as a whole. Last but not least, the most awaited question. What are your last pieces of advice for our fellow dental students? Okay, so I love this question. 
early on, whether it's in dental school or right out of dental school, envision what your life would look like. Like, like, what does it actually look like? Because I don't think we've ever been asked ourselves that where it's just become a dentist, that that's it. And then once you become a dentist, you can figure it out. But if you don't start to ask yourself those questions early on, then that's where you can kind of get stuck in the hamster wheel. So if you really enjoy doing clinical dentistry, then explore that. If you find that there's other passions that you have as well, do both of them, right? If you envision later on in life that you only want to work three clinical days a week and you even want to start that way right off the get-go, then start that way. So it completely is different. So just because it was done a specific way back in the day doesn't mean that it has to be that way now. And when you envision that life, know that then it's allowed to change or you're allowed to adapt it because we evolve as humans, which is amazing. So that is what, give yourself the permission to envision a life that you want to live. And everyone's going to have an opinion, but if you're happy with it, that's all that matters. A big round of applause for Dr. Jessica Metcalf for sharing her knowledge on imposter phenomenon, burnout, and perfectionism. I learned so much from you today. Thanks for joining us today on Tooth Untold Podcast. It's not who you are that holds you back. It's who you think you're not. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram and Facebook at Tooth Untold Podcast. Stay safe and have a great weekend. See you on the next episode.